from the sweet, sweet summertime studios of Univest at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for another inflation-fighting episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. Prices for fresh produce are predicted to continue to rise rapidly. Are you ready to fight back? I'm Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll help you grow more of your own fresh food, this time featuring the unsurpassed crops of summer. Plus, your unsurpassed phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and curiously concise condemnations. So keep your eyes and your ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you picking your perfect tomato right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. We will continue with our new feature just for you podcast and radio listeners, because we got more time to fill, discussing a pertinent story in the news. This week, who do you call when the ruins of Pompeii are being overwhelmed by invasives? We'll tell you as we proceed to take your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Cindy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, thanks, Mike. I'm uh, in Salinas, Kansas, which is in kind of the north-central part of Kansas. Okay. How are you? I'm great. It's it's raining here today, which is unusual for our part of the country, so it's really good. Yeah, talk to California about that. All right. What yeah. can we do for Cindy and Salinas? Um, I've got my tomatoes. I've I've grown tomatoes for years, and I kind of kind of know what the diseases look like. But the last few years, my tomato leaves have not gotten uh, the spots or turned yellow, or you know, or I don't think they've got spider mites. I can't actually see spider mites on them. Um, but they just kind of go crispy and fall off, like there's no in-between, like green and then crispy and fall off. And then like it, it, the whole plant is, just does that and it's gone. Wow, that sounds like a new breakfast cereal. Crispy tomatoes! <laughs> Part of this <laughs> nutritional <laughs> breakfast, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you already told me the answer. Um, in that Kansas, the part of Kansas at least you're in, uh, is generally a very dry climate, right? Right. And hot. And hot. hot in the summer. Um, I think yeah. they're just burning up uh, from the heat and from lack of adequate water. How do you okay. water? I, I usually just put a hose at the root and let it go for a while. How long is a while? Oh, I I don't have any idea. Just kind of a when I remember to move it. <laughs> Sometimes okay. I I remember to put my timer on and I'll let it go 
at a not a drip, but a pretty good pace for like 15 minutes. Okay. Um, you want to go back to the drip. Just think of me. It'll be okay. real easy. And let that go for a <laughs> solid hour. And don't put the uh, hose end right next to the plant. Uh, situated right. about four to six inches out, because that's where the roots okay. are. Uh, do you have any mulch on the, around the plants? Yes, usually it's whatever I can get, so like wheat straw, usually. Wheat straw would be excellent, as long... Yeah, yeah, it works well. As long as it is straw and not hay, because otherwise right. you'll become a wheat farmer. <laughs> and yeah. That's problematic. Uh, raised beds or flat earth? Raised. Okay. I I really think that's it. Now, uh, end of July, early August, are we talking about 100 degrees days being fairly normal? Yeah, and, and on through August, yeah. And um, are the plants in full sun? Yes. Okay. So two things, you need to uh, water them longer and more deeply. For instance, if you see the first leaf turning crispy, you really want to be aggressive and get out there. Uh, watering first thing in the morning is the absolute best. That's when the plant's okay. leaves and pores and every part of its body, so to speak, are open and receptive to receiving water. Um, nighttime evening is fine, but only because you're watering at the base of the plant. You never want right. to wet the leaves overnight. But don't bother doing uh -huh. this if the temperature is like 85 or above. It, the plants are then closed up tight to retain their moisture, and you're just wasting water. Now, okay. How many how many plants? Oh, I only have maybe eight. Okay, well, not many. Well, I don't know eight. Eight uh, with eight you get egg roll. Was that the move? I don't. <laughs> eight is enough. <laughs> um, you're going to have to provide some afternoon shade. So um, you know maybe you have old beach umbrellas or patio umbrellas. Or you might want to invest in a product called shade cloth. You would build. Yeah, and I have some of that, but I don't have a good way to suspend it. I like I put it. I have those like you know six foot tomato cages, right? And I kind of just lay it over the top, but um, and try to the wind. We, it's really windy here too. The wind blows it off. Windy in Kansas? No. Yeah. All right. All right. Should go. That's what Dorothy said. Um, to do... So I, I do try that, but it's it it's hard. Uh, I I'm, just need a better system, I think. Right, right. Um, I'm not going to suggest the material, but if you go to a home store like Home Despot, you can get 8 to 10 inch lengths of either metal or... Um, you know, of the plastic plumbing stuff. It's uh, escaping my mind now. Um, PVC pipe? PVC. Um, normally, I don't recommend that. But with my experience putting up big tarps at the Philadelphia Folk Festival, 
PVC is great because humans can bend it. And that what you want to do is you want to drive rebar into the ground and put both ends of the pipes into the rebar. That Okay, that's how I made my hoop house. Right, exactly. It's the same thing. And then yeah, you, just a, a, then you can okay. suspend the uh, shade cloth over top of that and rig it up so you can just pull some strings or ropes or something um, uh, to put it on and put it off. Uh, shade oh, cloth comes cool. in a various uh, percentages, let's say. So if you get a percentage on the lower end, like I don't really know which ones there are, but let's say you get a 25%, you know, it's going to cut off uh-huh. 25% of the sun. You can leave that on day and night. Um, but okay. if it's really, if it's really cooking, well, if it's really cooking, I would say leave it on day and night, but obviously it would be better if they get morning sun that's unfiltered. And then you would put it on around noontime. Okay. And I think that's going to take care of it. All right. I hope so. But I will tell you, blackberry roots are tenacious. Don't be so sure this is going to be a success. Right. And I can't believe how big they are. They're huge. Yeah, they're supposed to be. (laughs) All right. Well, good luck to you. And it sounds like you better not forget the sunscreen when you're out there. (laughs) this summer oh man i have those sleeves i have a hat i have the whole the whole deal the whole schmagate thank you for your help mike my pleasure take care you too bye i used to know a girl lived down there She'd go out in the evenings and pick her a mess of it. Cat home and cook it for supper. And if she had any leftovers, she'd dry it out and smoke it. But she did all right.
Well, it's time for me to take a little break and inform all of you that our special audio-only segment in the news is coming up. This time out, who do you call when the still unstudied ruins of Pompeii are being overwhelmed by invasives? One tip, it's not the clowns. That's coming up next on You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, in the question of the week, we will discuss what varieties of tomatoes and peppers that you should choose that will suit your garden needs and your climate. Really important stuff coming up, so stay tuned right now. Back to your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Joe, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being had, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing well. And yourself? I'm just ducky. <laughs> All right. Where are you, Joe? I'm in Aston, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia, Delaware County. Okay. Delco. Yes. Is that, because the, is that because the county is shaped like a car battery? I, I don't get it. Oh, it uh, probably is. <laughs> yeah. What can we do you for? All right. Well, uh, this is uh, uh, a question about a Japanese maple, a miniature Japanese maple. I have two of them in my front yard, mm -hmm. and one of them... Uh, has a, uh, a, a wrought iron plant hanger stuck within it. Mm -hmm. When it was younger, about eight years ago, nine years ago, I decided to put a plant hanger smack dab in the middle so that <laughs> above it would, would be these hanging heart-shaped wrought iron um, uh, pot holders. Uh, you could put uh, two flowers on either side, a flower on either side, a potted flower on either side. Right. Uh, since then... It has overgrown, has overtaken these these uh, heart-shaped wrought iron uh, spectacles, and um, actually, uh, thick branches have 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 found their way through them, and so I can't get them out. They're 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 stuck in there unless I cut them, or unless I cut the branch, um, they're there for good. Now, and Joe, I just wanted to know, Mike. Yes, go ahead. 
Uh, Joe, I'm looking at pictures uh, that you apparently sent us, and mm. uh, I don't see a Japanese maple. I, I see what looks like a brush pile. <laughs> well, we took it two days ago. Well, uh, not two days ago, uh, just this week, and it's winter time, and all the leaves are gone, and it looks like just a, a, a pile of bristle. You're right. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, it's very um, difficult to determine. Is is this a weeping Japanese maple? No, no, uh, not until I get my hands on it. Anyway, I was but, gonna, um, I was gonna say. I mean, <laughs> you know, generally trees grow upwards, Joe. I mean, I realize this is the PhD class here, uh, but they don't <laughs> tend to sprawl out like uh, a broken umbrella. I agree. I they they really are uh, mushroom shaped more than I guess uh, would be the best way to describe it. But I I had I didn't know that when I bought them they were saplings. Uh, you say you got two of them. Yes. Does the other one look one, like this one? It does. Yeah. Well, they both then look like a dog's breakfast. Uh, you, you realize this is the opposite of curb appeal. You could never sell your house with these. It looks like Cousin It from the Adams Family. Doesn't it, though? It does. It does. And, uh, but, and I, I used to go for curb appeal. I don't know what I was going for back then, but uh, um, in, the, in the summertime, it really – it's red. The, the, the leaves are red, um, and they're um, – uh, they're, re they're reminiscent of an illegal substance uh, that we won't mention, but it, they were reminiscent of that um, type of pattern, the leaves. Uh, very, very um, light and um, uh, delicate-looking leaves. Mm -hmm. Very, very pretty. And they did— um, But only in the summer, Mike. Um, okay. Um, both plants did leaf out in the spring and have good color— I, w I won't say the plants looked good because this is like the what not to do example at the farm <laughs> show or something. <laughs> well, fortunately, the leaves hide what you're looking at, Mike. Wouldn't you agree? No. Um, it, would, it, would be, <laughs> it would be beneficial if they did, yeah. which they do. So um, what I'm looking at is the shepherd's hook appears to be easily salvageable. Um, yes. You could just reach in and get that hook off. And then what I want you to do is when the soil starts to warm up, take a hose out there and let it run in between a drip and a whistle and let it really soak the area where the shepherd hook goes into the ground for a good couple of hours, and then you should be able to easily lift it up. And there's not, I, I can't see there's anything that's going to hold the hook down. No. Um, now, how how many heartbreaking hearts are, are entangled in this mess? There are two. There are two. Where's and the other one? Uh, 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 <laughs> It's obscure. No, uh, no question about it. It's been obscured by the uh, the uh, dog uh, food that you're <laughs> mentioning. Um, <laughs> but uh, there there are thick branches on either uh, in through either one, and 
there these these uh, are slightly elevated these these branches were i to cut them it would even out at least uh, the top would be even flatter mike than mm-hmm. it is now which isn't was no great prize to to uh, contemplate but um it would if i didn't kill it then that would be the effect of it and then what i would want to do mike is uh trim it back mm-hmm. trim it back on the bottoms and the sides so that it's more round rather than mushroom like or flat. Yeah. And kind you of gotta you gotta be careful here. Uh, maples do not like pruning. Um uh, especially if you do it in the spring when the sap is running. Um, they tend to mm-hmm. bleed all over the place. If you mm-hmm. really want to recover your hearts, and again, um, one of them seems to have sunk down to the uh, duodenum. Uh, um, <laughs> and if you really want to, you know, save the hearts, uh, you would do your pruning like now during, a, now. you know, or next time we go into a real cold stretch. As you know, our area has been experiencing ridiculously warm a winter weather except for that arctic blast back at christmas time and um if you prune now today for instance i think um and we're taping this in advance i think it's like over 50 degrees outside already so yeah yeah that would cause the bleeding uh you'd have to wait you'd have to wait until it you know nighttime temperatures were 32 or below for like three, four days in a row, and then predicted to be that colder, colder for another couple of days. Then you'd be doing what's called dormant pruning. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, uh, you know, and if you can, if you could figure out where this thing comes out of the ground, you're a better man than me. So, um, <laughs> well, I, I have an advantage, though, Mike. You know, yeah, I, you plant. The- I have. I can. But but not only that, I mean, I just have access to it. It's better uh, in person uh, to, to be able to, to see what's going on rather than those pictures that we sent you, Joe, there's might not have been the best. Joe, there's no other direction to go in. It has to look better than these pictures, or your neighbors would have <laughs> set it on fire by now. Um, I'll tell you well, what. Get uh, that shepherd's hook okay. out of there. And then you've tried to pull the heart up, at least the one that we can see, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No luck. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's impossible. It's uh, it's completely uh, in, involved in the, in that one big branch. Yeah. Uh, two big branches well, for each one. It, uh, I could have done branches, that if I tried. The big branches are the oldest part of the tree, and they're carrying yeah. the bulk of the nutrition. I'm going to say get the shepherd's hook out of there um, and then just, you know, let the tree engulf the other two and, you know, put up a sign, the tree it, of broken hearts or something like that. You know? That's that's about right. That, I'm glad to hear it. Um, I came to you for advice and I and I got your advice. I watch your show. Uh, listen and watch uh, religiously, and I know that it needs to be dormant. It can't be warm. It has to be uh, uh, sleeping. It has to be hibernating. 
And uh, so that's what I'll do. I'll aim for it. And February should be colder than than it is now, at least ordinarily. Like, it seems like the, the months, uh, like December is more like November, and January is more like December, and February is more like January. All these months used to be this way. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess it's global warming, perhaps. I don't know. But, Mike, I think, thank you. I thank think we you. moved to the bizarro world, actually. Okay, Joe, <laughs> interesting question. Good luck to you, sir. Thank you so much, Mike. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, as promised, our special feature, just for our beloved podcast and radio listeners, in the news, in which I select an interesting story from that week's newspapers, uh, to turn you on to, and this is a great one. Um, <laughs> it, it's it, uh, picked it up from my local morning call paper, originally ran in the New York Times by Jason Horowitz, and the headline is "Send in the Sheep." Now, Dateline, Pompeii, Italy. In recent years, the vast archaeological park of Pompeii a city buried alive by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD, has turned to high-tech options to maintain the ruins that have not yet been excavated and investigated. A surveillance drone makes a monthly flight over the site's roughly 10,000 rooms, and artificial intelligence programs analyze these images for new cracks, fallen stones, and other signs of erosion. But to prevent the third of the park that remains hidden under pumice and meters of earth from becoming overgrown with thorn bushes, wild hedges, and trees, Pompeii has found a more appropriately ancient and inexpensive solution to the problem. Hungry sheep. That's right. They are using the sheep to get rid of all these invasive plants before they damage the structure, and now they don't have to use herbicides. Without the sheep, you'd have some kind of jungle that would invade the archaeological structure and the site, said the park's director. He came up with using the sheep, after he saw them chopping down on weeds in other ancient historic areas. And without their help, this city could be reburied, the part that they've excavated. I quote from the article, For a city closely associated with clouds of ash and incinerating gusts of heat from one of the most horrific natural disasters in recorded history, the sheep, along with newly planted grapevines, orchards and ancient atriums, and plans for local olive oil production. They're all part of a, quote, Pompeii pastoral rebranding campaign to move away from fire and brimstone and towards farm and table. I even dream, says the director, as the sheep bleated around him, of Pompeian wool. This is just a great story. Um, Again, very similar to the story about the Paris graveyard we talked about a few weeks ago, 
being overrun by weeds and with there being a local rebellion against the use of herbicides, here now, that was goats. Now we got sheep. These animals do this stuff naturally. Um, herds of goats are being used all across the United States uh, to get rid of invasive plants, especially in dicey areas where it's tough for humans and machines to get to. This is the wave of the future, and I couldn't be happier about it. As I said, the original story appeared in the New York Times recently, and it's by Jason Horowitz. Great reporting, Jason. Well, it is time for me to take another little break and announce that, yes, we will be offering a tour of the flower show with me and maybe Ducky um, this coming March. Uh, the flower show's theme this year is the Garden Electric, and on the Tuesday of the flower show, a select group of people who sign up will tour the show with me and the designer, and then Lord knows what else we may throw your way if you're on the tour. Now, tickets for this are exceptionally limited, and so don't take too much time to figure it out, and don't forget, it's also Valentine's Day coming up soon. Makes a great gift. Hint, hint. For all the details, visit pbs39.org slash flower show. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll tell you the many things you need to know about different varieties of tomatoes before you order your seeds or even buy your plants at your local garden center. Important information, even for us geezers who think we know everything. 
so you don't want to miss it, and you won't. It's coming up after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Peggy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Nice to be here. It's nice to have you here, Peg. How you doing? Not bad. Okay. And where is Peggy not bad? Uh, in Rocky River, Ohio, right outside of Cleveland. Ah, Cleveland, city of light, city of magic. Oh, you got some you got some rough climate happenings up there. Um, what can we do you for? Well, I bought a house uh, that'll be four summers ago. I bought it, and it's got a lovely bed of ferns bum, in a flower bum, bed in bum, the backyard. They're beautiful. Oh, yeah. Ferns are always beautiful. They are. Um, But they have this habit of, of like, growing out into the lawn. Uh Uh-huh. That's what ferns do, Peg. Okay. Well... So what I've been doing to combat that, well, I don't combat it. I just, you know, I watch it happen. And then I go outside and I dig them up, which is a little bit difficult. And I'm not getting any younger, you know, none mm-hmm. of us are. So I go down and I dig them out and I get way down into the grass and find what I think I've learned from your show is called a runner. I think that's what it is. A rhizome. It's really hard, but I... But I cut them out, and uh, then I try to give them to people. Oh, My God, why? My- <laughs> <laughs> You're the typhoid Mary of horticulture. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, these- the neighbors know not to take them. They know that. But, mm-hmm. you know, it that's- just seems like a sin to throw them away. But, but that's not the problem. Uh-huh. I want to know, because I've been listening to you about that flamethrower thing. And I've been looking at them on the internet because I intend to buy one for just my regular weeds. Oh, okay. Will that thing work on ferns? No. No. The problem oh. with ferns is the underground parts are highly interlocked. Those rhizomes down there are thick and they get like almost metal like. And they are slow but aggressive growers. Their their goal in in this world is to keep moving forward and backwards and sideways on both sides. And they are difficult to control. Now, I'll tell you right now, I don't know how old you are, but um, trying to dig up the rhizomes of ferns gets old fast. And unless I'm I'm even trying to think of if there's a specialized tool you could use, Um, I'll tell you what what I and you want to keep them out of the lawn. That's the that's the big idea. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Would you mind them staying where they are? The ones that are in the flower bed, I love them to be where they are. Yes. Good. So what you. What I would suggest you do is you hire a landscaper or you discuss this at your local independent garden center. Maybe they have a crew that can come out and do this. 
but they would dig a small trench and install what's called rhizome barrier. It's what's used to control running bamboo. And it has to go down deeply. It has to be installed correctly. But after that, the ferns will stay on the other side. Now, what I do when my ferns get out of control is I just weed whack them a couple of times a summer. Oh, okay. And it's, uh, it's then I, you know, I, I found two rose plants I had forgotten about that they had engulfed. And, you know, finally saw the roses on them. But, yeah, they're aggressive. You'd have to hire somebody with a backhoe really, to get all of that root system out. And you have to get it all out. You can't miss the tiniest piece. So what I would suggest is, I hope you can afford it. It shouldn't be too expensive. But have that rhizome barrier installed professionally. And then if you see it coming up on the other side, those are sprouts that were already there. And they've been... Oh, okay. They've been cut off from the main plant by the installation of the rhizome barrier. So they are weak, and they could be flame-weeded repeatedly, and that would uh, knock the stuffing out of them. Or you could just weed-whack them as they come up in that one area. A couple of years of that, them not getting any sunlight for a generation, and they'd be dead that way. Okay. But yeah, All right. Well, I that's have, not what I wanted to hear, but... You know, <laughs> I have ferns all over my property, and I treat them just like hostas. I weed whack them every spring until the amount left behind is fine by me. Okay. Oh, that's good to know. Okay. All right. All right. Hey, Mike, thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my, my pure pleasure, Peg. You take care and have a good season. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. As promised, perhaps the only promise we always keep, it is time for the question of the week, which is another episode of Fighting Producefflation, this time with an emphasis on tomatoes and peppers. Truth be told, you'll save more money and better protect yourself against store shortages by growing crops that produce the biggest bounty per square foot, like peas and leafy greens in the spring, and beans in the summer. You'll also get better quality peas and green beans than you would in any produce section, as these crops have to be hand harvested and are often left on the vine much too long in commercial growing. But when you grow your own, you can pick them young and enjoy them the same day. Just bite into one out in the field. So instead of getting the equivalent of the 99 cents a pound string beans that are tough and stringy, you'll be picking them young and slender, the kind that sells for four times as much at the market. You've really never tasted a super sweet snow pea, snap pea, or sublimely tasty green bean until you grow your own. Tomatoes. Depends on how much room you have. The super tasty and often heirloom indeterminate types need to be restrained inside a two-foot diameter cage made of welded wire with a foot of open space all around for airflow or the equivalent, no chicken wire. 
better behaved determinant or bush varieties will produce more fruits in much less space. Some of the newer dwarf bush types, like my new favorite Tasmanian chocolate, have a flavor that often rivals the massively vined indeterminants, and yet they can be grown in a medium to large size container. I will personally continue to grow a couple of the indeterminants, if only for bragging rights. The sunset-colored beauty of a striped marvel, the naturally smoky flavor of a black crim, or the sheer massiveness of a radiator Charlie's mortgage lifter, tomatoes the size of a child's head. You should grow a few of these as well, especially if you have a lot of garden space because these tomatoes are art, not commerce. Biting into one fresh in the field is like taking a bite of summer itself. But let's go back to saving money. I always grow a lot of paste tomatoes, sometimes called plum sauce or Roma, with the goal of putting up enough tomato sauce to last me through the following year's harvest. Paste tomatoes have few seeds and little juice, making them ideal for this kind of preservation. Be sure to also grow lots of basil and or oregano to go into that sauce, a finished pint of which makes a great gift. Roma is the original paste tomato. San Marzano, or the improved Super San Marzano, also makes excellent sauce. And new in my garden this year is Ukrainian purple, described as plum-shaped, purple-red fruits with excellent flavor. Now, I just discovered that they're indeterminate, as is San Marzano, so they will need to be caged. Romas, however, are well-behaved determinant varieties. Extremely important. Check the days to maturity listing before you fall in love with a specific tomato. Some of the best heirloom varieties take a long season to produce their first fruits, while determinants ripen up in much less time. If you're located on a line from where I live in eastern PA west to the Rockies or anywhere further north in the mid-Atlantic, be realistic and don't try and grow a 110-day tomato. It's the same with peppers. The classic big blocky sweet bell pepper you see in markets is California Wonder or a very similar variety. This heirloom pepper plant tops out at around two feet, but the fruits are heavy and require strong support. Although yellow and orange varieties are available, the classic California Wonder ripens to red 80 days after transplant. Not 80 days after seeding. 80 days from the time you transplant two-month-old seedlings into warm soil. And that's just for the first one to ripen up. So be seasonally conscious when you buy your seeds. Other sweet peppers worth growing are the non-bell-shaped Gypsy, Marconi, and the elongated Italian frying peppers. For short seasons or container gardens, I highly recommend varieties in the mini bell family, like Baby Bell and Yum Yum, 
which ripens up a mere 55 days after transplant. Sometimes called snacking peppers, the plants produce their tasty treats early and often. Big note number one. Most of us who start our plants from seed tend to do it all at once. Well, I used to anyway, despite the fact that most plants tend to grow at different rates. An extreme example is peppers versus tomatoes. Tomatoes being started from seed grow tall faster than any other plant I know, requiring the seed starter to constantly adjust their grow lights. Peppers prefer much warmer bottom heat to germinate, and then they grow slowly, making them frustratingly small at planting time. I will personally attempt to rectify this issue by starting my peppers earlier than ever. I typically start all my plants when the Philadelphia Flower Show ends, which will be March 12th this year. And that's when I will start my tomatoes. But to try and get an earlier harvest, I'm going to start pepper seeds around February 1st, which means I've already done it, and I have. At least they'll be a decent size when they go outside. I'd say that leaves only hot peppers to discuss in depth, but it also leaves out eggplant, potatoes, onions, which have really skyrocketed in price lately, herbs, and lots of other stuff. So right now I'm torn. Should I do one more article on how to choose the best varieties for you and your family or direct you to our vast archive of articles at the Gardens Alive website to find that information and move on to a different topic? Stay tuned for the bat answer, cats and kittens. Same bat channel, same time. Well, that sure was some timely advice about the many types of tomatoes and peppers now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be, youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to poach my peppers if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444. Or send us your email, as long as you include your location. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse, as long as you include your location. Teaming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. Oh, and by the way, please include your location, okay? You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you strongly every week from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. 
Mike McGrath was created by the substitute legion of superheroes who promptly named him Chlorophyll Kid. Oh, I'm going to get thrown off the air. Ken Queter is our musical director. Chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Angel of the Airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is always cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and send her your pretty garden pictures or house plants or whatever to post at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. This time of year, we're getting a lot of pictures of seed packets. Teresa Radke is our peerless princess of profound production. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Also starring Jacob Morris as Trapper and Zach the Tack as Hawkeye. Ably assisted by our beloved band of card sharks, roustabouts, and fortune tellers. Our jovial and jaunty CEO is Tim Fallon. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'll be living and dying with my eagles tomorrow. And then I'll need a week of recovery until I can see you again. Hey, come on, those grease poles are hard to climb at my age. Don't forget, it's a fella thing. <laughs>